This podcast contains adult content, including cannabis. You're listening to Bellas Who Blaze. Everyday discussions elevating cannabis lifestyles from a female perspective. This week, we welcome Mary J to join us on Bellas Who Blaze. And yes, you were born with such a fitting name. (laughs) An analyst at UBC, which is the University of British Columbia, a cannabis advocate. And with a name so fitting, we're going to talk about cannabis, weight, alcohol, along with a bit of a story time on how you ended up smoking cannabis um, out of a volcano with journalist Patrick Gower. New Zealanders, if you remember the documentary style show um, Patrick Gower did all around cannabis, yes, she was in there and we're going to get her side of that story. Welcome to Bella Zoo Blaze. Thanks, Kaya. I'm very happy to be here and um, I love that you touched on my name, my name is Mary Jolkowski, and as I recently told my parents, it's fitting for cannabis because it sounds like a Polish marijuana, and <laughs> I guess they hadn't thought of that until I presented it to them. So it's a good fit. I uh, love the plant, and I'm so happy to be here to share about that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me, and I'd really like to start kind of at the beginning of your journey with cannabis, and uh, if you're able to share your how your relationship with the plant began. So I am from suburban Minnesota, uh, a child of the 80s. I was a student during the D.A.R.E. programs that were uh, drug resistance awareness education. Raised in the D.A.R.E. program, never experienced cannabis or any kind of substance, even though we were presented with them being so harmful and dangerous. So I grew up with all of the stigmatized, incorrect information about it and had no contact with it really until university. I ended up studying abroad in Europe, had a little trip to Amsterdam, had a roommate who was experienced and was open to it and had experiences in Amsterdam that opened my eyes to it, but I was still in the mode of it being a stigmatized, naughty thing in my 20s and it took moving to Canada It took a serious injury and recovery where I found cannabis as a medicine. And 10 10 years later, here I am, very excited that Canada has quote-unquote legalized and we're entering this new era where hopefully the stigma can be removed. We can be educated and we can share and really uh, appreciate what this plant has to offer. And how old were you when you moved to Canada? I was 27 years old. I came here to do my master's degree at the University of British Columbia in library studies. So Mm -hmm. that's right. I am a trained librarian. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And you say you you mentioned you grew up in a small town in Minnesota, but what was the general perception of cannabis amongst your family or amongst your peers? Like, what was that like for you growing up? I grew up in a very, very stereotypical suburban life, very protected from outside worries. Um, So I would say it virtually didn't exist. I don't really remember really having a concept of it. Did you ever smell it around like, and you knew what it was or anything like that? It's great that you mentioned that because I remember being with my family, I think we're heading to like a sporting event downtown and walking by something and my dad commenting, oh, I I recognize that smell and not being able to understand what he was talking about, which now seems ridiculous because it's so fragrant. But really, Mm -hmm. I just was so naive and had no experience that I had no idea what he was talking about. But 
but even then, I think that must have been in the, in the 90s, could have been scandalous because it was so illegal and so naughty that it really wasn't around. So, yeah. uh, but it was definitely like bad, mm-hmm. <laughs> bad. And the people who are doing it are, I think the word is like loser. I think that's the biggest kind of attached word is loser. Mm. And so being the good kid, I guess because you weren't ever really a drinker, you weren't much of a cannabis user. How has that changed through time for you? Yeah, I think I really had a very average path um, as a middle class, you know, white female from the States, protected you know, through high school, then you go to college and then, you know, there's beer and, and vodka and stuff like that. And you just kind of find your way with it. Cannabis showed up once in a while. It wasn't really that big a thing. I do recall being in a situation where like sharing a joint, thinking I was high and looking back and like, I don't think any of us inhaled anything. I, <laughs> I, I think we got leaves or something. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe we got oregano. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And then after university, I I traveled. I ended up living in England, Mm -hmm. and that is an alcohol culture, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And I was just into it. I really liked hard cider. I've never been a beer person, but hard cider is great. So I got really Mm -hmm. into that and developed, like, um, a very normal relationship with alcohol, like, when you go out on your weekends and stuff. Mm -hmm. Never felt I had a problem with it, but I also just – didn't like being drunk and sick, didn't like being hungover. And so after these stints living abroad in Europe, you then made the move to Canada? Mm-hmm. Got into University of British Columbia for the Master's in Library Studies, uh, moved here in 2007, um, did the student thing where I ended up having some random roommates. Mm-hmm. One of them was a local guy and British Columbia is very connected to cannabis so he was very connected to cannabis (laughs) and he really made an impression on me about what the culture is like how you handle your cannabis um he had some really good stuff I really Mm -hmm. enjoyed it (laughs) you know um that's really really got my attention as something that maybe I was interested in and maybe it, it worked for me I guess moving to British Columbia how did your cannabis journey kind of start from there and how did it evolve? Cause you mentioned earlier as well that you had an accident and, and it's incorporated into some of your health things, but how did that mm. journey kind of come, come to be? Mm-hmm. It's, it's quite interesting. So I came in 2007, had the roommate for your occasionally smoke once, once in a while. And when we would, when I would have it have a very strong effect on me, like, one time we smoked and I had class the next morning and I was kind of convinced I was still high the next day, <laughs> um, which looking back, I'm like, that would have been uh, 14 hours. I don't, I don't know, but obviously. BC Bud can do that. <laughs> yeah. There's some really potent stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so having the impression of it being that sort of recreational thing. Um, the second year of my grad program, I herniated a disc in my back twice in one day, which broke it and then about a month later that broken piece punctured my spinal cord in my low back causing my right foot to not work <laughs> I know your oh face is just <laughs> it was really really extremely painful it felt like it went through all my nerves and I keep I met my story that I keep saying is like it's like the pain shot out of like my head and my fingertips like electricity like it was so instant that 
all the sensation went through all my nerves at the same time. Pretty scary. Yeah. And it was due to being very a very big-bodied person. Mm-hmm. I know the terminology mm. that we use. Um, I want to be sensitive, but at that time it would be classified as morbidly obese. Mm-hmm. And so it really was due to not even quite an accident. It just sort of was a bulging disc that um, got worse and worse. And one day through standing up, uh, I broke it. So that was a, a massive episode. That was a really big thing. I went for went to the hospital and they kept me and operated the next day. That's how serious it was, mm-hmm. which in Canada, there's the universal healthcare system, but you are often on a wait list unless it's an emergency. So I, I really had an emergency and was treated mm-hmm. quickly. But in the recovery phase, like coming back to cannabis, uh, after with the surgery I had was prescribed Tylenol with codeine threes and fours and did not like how they made me feel. And I had been able to acquire cannabis just to be casual, but I started smoking it during the day at that mm-hmm. point, which I'd never done. And that was really eye-opening. And then to see how cannabis could help me be more mobile and shift my pain uh, in a different way. And I really, really understood cannabis very, very differently at that point. Mm-hmm. And years and years later, I was moving and found one of my pill bottles that still had pills in it. And I didn't finish my prescription pain medication um, from that massive back surgery, thanks to cannabis. Wow. So that's where it's, that was like 2009 where it really shifted, mm-hmm. but then it really went into a con- an ongoing relationship with cannabis because my recovery was like over a year. Like I had a lot of um, pain in like the surgery area of healing. So mm-hmm. it was really a good medicine to need to to use long-term. Um, mm-hmm. So I understood it as like a good chronic pain medicine as well. That's amazing. So yeah. when you moved to Canada in 2007, lived with this roommate, it was very much more of a recreational consumption of cannabis it was adult use you used it to enjoy and relax and have a Mm -hmm. laugh and that kind of thing and then 2009 was when it really started to shift and you started to learn how it applied for you medicinally and for therapeutic Mm -hmm. use so I really want to come back to that point about the weight struggles and how that ended up affecting your health having the slip disc all the surgeries but from those personal weight struggles, can has cannabis positively or negatively impacted your kind of perception and how you deal with weight? So from my direct personal ex- uh, experience, I have a very positive impression of it that is completely counter to everything I've ever experienced in media or the public. Um, anything you've heard, you know, just by living life. And So what I'll say is from day one, from kindergarten, I was like the big kid. Mm -hmm. All throughout my childhood, I was always the big kid. I'll just use, I know they're problematic words, but just as we're familiar with like obesity, basically entered obesity my kind of teenage, late teenage years. And in throughout my twenties, I became morbidly obese. And being like that from kind of day one, I just thought this is who I am and all I am didn't feel happy with myself um, because I, growing up in the 80s and the 90s, it was all about teeny tiny body, big boobs. So through my experience, I had the big body, 
I had this terrible back injury. I had the surgery, the long recovery, and it, you you had cannabis use throughout that. But I also had a big kind of mental breakthrough and made a lot of changes, lost a lot of weight, became mm-hmm. very active. I was running half marathons. I've run nine half marathons and over 30 races and just became this version of myself that I never thought was, could have been possible. So up to the age of 30, I was the big one. And then 30 since I've been more in a quote unquote normal body size. And I know that's all loaded terminology. (laughs) When I think about cannabis, cannabis has been a consistent part of my life throughout these changes. So Mm -hmm. I can't say it made me big, nor can I say it made me small. It's -hmm. something that's helped me balance my mental health. It's something that's helped me actually build my self-awareness and then sometimes my self-love and Mm self-confidence with intentional use. I think it's knowing your cannabis, it's knowing your body, and then knowing like what's up with your body now. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I'll have some flour. I like to smoke or vape it, but depending on where I'm at in my day, it lands differently. Like mm-hmm. I, I love a, a morning cannabis and coffee pairing before yoga, but it's like not too much cannabis. It's like just a bowl, just enough, got the coffee there, helps me really like tune into my body during yoga. Mm-hmm. And then when yoga's done, uh, the cannabis is kind of calmed down, but like the coffee's there and like I feel good, but if I had that cannabis at 5 p.m. after a full day's work or out running errands or something, like I've already expended myself and that cannabis might be like, time to sit down, time to, you know, do less. So mm-hmm. when people just say cannabis makes you feel one way or do one thing, I'm like, what time of day? What have you eaten? Like, have you been sleeping? are you on the verge of catching a cold? Like there's a lot of things that factor into your experience with cannabis. And I hope people like learn how to read their own signals and stuff. I wanted to talk a bit more about your um, mindset shift that helped you manage your weight and your health and those sorts of things. With this mindset shift, was cannabis an added catalyst to the mindset shift or was that something that was happening more internally and unrelated to your cannabis use? Mm -hmm. At the time, I would have called them different or not seen a connection. At this point in time, I would say my cannabis experiences were helping me connect inward and connect to my intuition, but Mm -hmm. I wouldn't think I was aware of it at that time. But at the time of making health shifts, um, I had been in uh, a challenging situation and had this sort of awareness of like, I'm not a victim. Like I can make some choices. I can make some changes. Mm -hmm. That's what led to lifestyle changes and activity and diet changes and then body changes. So it happened really organically. And it's interesting as a woman to be out in the world as um, I lost over a hundred pounds. I know it's can be triggering to hear numbers and stuff, but to just kind of exemplify the the level of change. It was it was a very significant change at the time, you know, going to work in an office, being around women, uh, getting a lot of feedback and questions of like, what are you doing? What's mm-hmm. your diet? What's your workout? What's the secret? Everyone wants the secret. And it, mm-hmm. I really just said, I wasn't working with the trainer. I wasn't following a diet. I was following my sense of what I do or don't want to eat. 
mm-hmm. I was following a sense of like I have energy like what do I want to do with this energy like oh there's a Pilates class like I'm gonna try a Pilates class oh that worked out maybe I'm gonna do Pilates twice a week um, those sort of intuitive steps so it drives people crazy because they ask what did you do and I don't have that magic pill answer for them mm-hmm. the changes I've made have sustained for a decade now so mm. really again like intuitive and listening to my body and what it, it does and doesn't want but I would say looking back now that cannabis was probably helping me unlock those senses of what mm. to listen to I probably just wasn't aware of it because at the time cannabis was like end of the day secret helps mm-hmm. me kind of wind down calm down sort of thing so I never thought at the time it was affecting my perceptions and how I was living my life but when I look back I think probably wasn't hurting because obviously those changes happened while I was a cannabis user and I know we we talked a little bit about the benefits of cannabis and yoga or not even the benefit benefits but just how well those two go together Um, But what is your perception on cannabis and exercise? Because I know some people, it's like the thing after exercise that they love to help use as a muscle relaxant, as a recovery. And then other people, it's like the thing they do before they go on a run or lift weights or, you know, do like harder exercise. And um, I'm curious to know what cannabis and exercise is like for you. So I love to be active and I love weeds. So I have combined them many times. <laughs> I've, I've done a lot of personal experimentation on this. Mm-hmm. I do find it goes well with some things for me. I have been a runner. I cannot imagine getting high and going for a run. Can't believe it. I can believe other people can do it. But for me, I'm not sure what it is, but that one doesn't work out for me. Mm. But I am also a cyclist. Love a little, not too much. Love a little mm-hmm. bit of cannabis before I get on the bike. And I'm going to say, know what you're doing if you do that. Mm-hmm. I'm not telling new consumers to get high and get on something with wheels. No. Um, but I feel very um, aware and comfortable with, with cannabis and where I'm at with it. So I'll get on my bike. And what I actually find it does is it's uh, a focus thing where I can get really, really into my ride and not be as affected by, I'll be aware of what's going on for for my safety, but I can be a little emotionally detached from what's going on. And when you're in Mm -hmm. a busy place of like lots of inputs and noise. Yeah. Yeah. And I can just be like really focused on my ride. That's amazing because it almost feels like a video game is a weird Mm. thing to say, but when you're cruising around, it just is a little more like focused, unaffected, and then I'm really paying attention to my heartbeat, uh, heartbeat, and my mm-hmm. breathing. And some of my best cycling times are with cannabis. I think the focus element is really like for me it's the benefit. the tr- The challenge, and it depends on your weed, is a little bit of like almost disconnection from the body. Mm-hmm. So I think with running, I feel not solid enough on my feet but being on the bike is different in your opinion what is the biggest misconception about cannabis that maybe you used to believe or that you still hear today I think the the lack of productivity in the couch the cannabis equals one outcome Mm -hmm. that's what drives me nuts the all my education and my experience is 
cannabis is this multi-dimensional thing. It's so varied and that's part of the the widespread ignorance is that we don't know however you know hybrids oh you know it, it's it's so incredible to see the biological diversity or botanic diversity of mm-hmm. what the plant is and thus what it can do it's a natural resource it's a food it's a medicine you know it's a spiritual thing so i think this misconception is just it being boiled down to one little label and description like so i find you know cannabis i often pair it with an activity so i find it as part of productivity not that productivity is a great thing that's not mm-hmm. not the, you know cannabis can be great for meditation and stillness as well mm-hmm. that sense of um you can't accomplish things. And so when I started being open about cannabis, I started talking to people who I've known for a long time. They never mm-hmm. knew cannabis was part of my life, but I'm like, now I'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my jokes for a long time was how do you lose a hundred pounds and become a, a long distance runner? Smoke re- weed every day. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> I did. Um, you know, so that That would be uh, the perfect response for everyone who wants to know your secret. You're like cannabis. Exactly. And it, I mean, it would be a, <laughs> a fun way to uh, pop it in there. Uh, mm-hmm. I really do believe cannabis has its pros and cons. Mm-hmm. I found a lot of benefit. I've experienced yeah. misuse as well. So I mm-hmm. just want to put it out there that it's not a, a perfect thing. We're all human. and I uh, agree. And I think yeah. a huge part of why I think these conversations are really important and a, and a reason why it motivated me to start Bella Blaze as well was that I've come from a background of misusing cannabis because I wasn't surrounded by education. I wasn't surrounded by people who were talking about the healthy use of cannabis and how it can help and how intentional use of cannabis can really shift how it integrates into your life. And yeah, I think it is really important to discuss misuse as much as it is to talk about the positives. So Mm -hmm. I really appreciate you making that point. Yeah. And then also you know, misconceptions, I think that ties in well to my appearance on the New Zealand documentary about weed that oh, Patrick yes. Gower made, <laughs> where he, uh, uh, I appear in the narrative of a cautionary tale. Yes. So I guess a little bit of background. Patrick Gower, I guess, traveled to various states in the US and Canada, and I think maybe a few other places around the world to do a two-part documentary on cannabis called On Weed. And he basically spoke and addressed, you know, what legal cannabis looks like, what's happening in different markets. He arrived in Vancouver and filmed that portion of the Vancouver series with Mary and a bunch of people. But can you tell me a little bit about that experience and I guess your perception of of the documentary too, because you also watched it once it was aired. Mm-hmm. That was um, a very educational experience uh, <laughs> as a participant and then as a viewer. So my background, I, I do not have a media background mm-hmm. and that's a big factor in understanding uh, participation in, in some kind of media. So uh, this was January of 2019. We're just, you know, three months into legalization in Canada at that point. I was with my little business. I was part of uh, several startups, and one of them was for cannabis tourism in Canada. 
So it was our colleague, Tristan, who is the guy that uh, was starting a tour company, like he has the van, he's going to locations. Uh, he had a, a background in nature and ecological tourism. So he really wanted to tie the growing aspect uh, cultivation and stuff. He wanted to mm-hmm. have uh, tourists experience that. So he had the van. Then uh, we had another young man named Keenan, and he has a walking tour in uh, central downtown Vancouver where he's talking about the history of prohibition, the social issues. Keenan was talking about his walking tour where he's telling the history, social history, justice, all of that. Mm-hmm. I'm there with my consulting and my my experience. We had another guy, Arnold, uh, who has background in science, mm-hmm. where all of us are very passionate and educated and saying, like, we want to be part of creating the market for cannabis tourism in BC, which is, you know, one of these classic cultivation sites, high quality cannabis. So it was, I believe, Tristan who had the connection to Patrick, and he said, hey, this journalism is, journalist is coming in from New Zealand. He wants to do some filming. Would you all like to get together? We'll go to some sites around Vancouver and do some filming and show him what it's like here, because the culture here is obviously very unique with cannabis. So we're so excited. We're just so excited. It was really fun to film him. Patrick was super sweet. His his crew was amazing. Like we had just a really fun time mm-hmm. going, went to a dab bar and showed them what dabbing's like. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arnold uh, did a dab like a champ. <laughs> um, <laughs> I miss those dab bars. Yeah. Um, we uh, also went to the, was it the New Amsterdam Cafe? Mm-hmm. Which is a very classic spot in Vancouver connected to like advocacy during the Prohibition era. Mm-hmm. And so we had a great time. So when you mentioned the volcano vaporizer, mm-hmm. if anybody's not aware, my, my friend described this as an analog device because <laughs> <laughs> they've been yep. around for ages. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Think of it as like a kitchen um, appliance that's kind of like a blender base. Yeah, metal. that's a good cone shaped. Cone, yeah. How would you describe it? Uh, so I would describe it as basically you've got this cone-shaped device that plugs into a power source on the bottom, and that's the main component. It's got like the battery, it's got the heating element, and it's got some kind of vacuum feature to it. And then it also comes with another attachment uh, that's more like a balloon bag, but it's kind of like a, you know, those oven bags that you can put like a chicken in or something and you seal it up it's kind of got that plasticky vacuumy kind of texture to it and basically it's like a a bag with a like a nozzle yeah like a nozzle attached to it this bag so the bag is kind of sealed and then it's got the nozzle on the front of it and then you put your flour in to this little container and then you attach the little nozzle to the top of this this cone-shaped volcano device and you can set a temperature and then you can turn it on and then it basically vaporizes the cannabis it blows hot air into the bag and vaporizes the cannabis that's like sitting in the nozzle attached to the bag and starts to fill the bag up with the vapor of cannabis and then you unattach it once it's ready and then you can smoke it from the bag you like release the smoke or vapor from the bag and and then you consume it that way. 
that was a great description of the volcano vaporizer. And that's exactly what we were doing. We had the big plastic bag and you vaporize the cannabis and it goes into the bag. So what you do, the reason there's the nozzle is to keep the uh, vaporized cannabis in the bag. And then you put the nozzle to your mouth. You like press it to your mouth and then inhale. And so you're sharing this cloud puff of, of vaporized weed. And it's a very like traditional old school way to have cannabis. Also a, um, a government medically approved device. Yes. Thank you. It literally mm-hmm. is a medical device, mm-hmm. but we did that and, and uh, Patrick's crew filmed it and it was a great night where it was like a lot of enthusiasm. They were all very like interested and positive in their reflections about what we were sharing. Very feel good. Uh, interaction and our understanding is that we were sharing culture, we were sharing history, social topics in a positive light. So that's what mm-hmm. we thought we were doing in January mm-hmm. 2019. I believe his uh, documentary came out September of that year, maybe eight or mm-hmm. nine months later. Yeah. The first part, I thought part of his of his um, documentary was good. Like he really um, spoke to that woman with the medical issues and how she was getting the Tilray products in New Zealand, but how expensive they were. And mm-hmm. he came up to the Tilray plants here in British Columbia and like that stuff, like good articulation of the medical issues. So like mm-hmm. thumbs up there. Part two, <laughs> very surprised to see my face with a <laughs> volcano vaporizer nozzle to my mouth and as I recall, it's been, what, two years since I've seen that documentary mm-hmm. now. But my my recollection is that our time filming with him was used as the counterpoint to the, the positive medical stuff. It was, ooh, the recreational Dangers. side, the danger, you know, cautionary tale, these people. <laughs> and then number one, just being tickled and amused at this librarian from, you know, did that did band in high school mm-hmm. never been like badass a day in my life mm-hmm. is is you know the warning sign like don't be like her and it's like what have a master's degree like <laughs> what's the problem here um but then it, disappointed knowing even though I thought that was a funny portrayal I thought well how many people are going to look at that and they they don't know me they don't know what we filmed and and that's what's presented as oh oh same old stigmas and stereotypes um, and negative connotations. So I was really disappointed to see that they use mm-hmm. that footage in that way as part of their story. So mm. what I would say is for anybody consuming cannabis media or putting themselves out there for the media, just be aware, you know, if, if you're not controlling your narrative, you don't know how it's going to end up and what it's going to go to support. And so I felt bad that man, my face is going to support more negative messaging about this. That's mm-hmm. That was never my intention, but that's what happened. And I felt just really disappointed. But yeah. I really, I'm hoping with time, the states keep legalizing. I think it's going to take time, but legalization will happen in lots of places and hopefully mm-hmm. New Zealand. Maybe exactly. Patrick will do another documentary in a couple of years with a different perspective. And that's my best hope that we can mm-hmm. get from this. Absolutely. I think it's so important to know the angle of a story that media are trying to portray. I mean, you can never control it once it's once your part is done. That's the hard part. 
knowing you, you definitely wouldn't would have said or would have felt, you know, like don't associate my image to the dangerous side of it or the misuse and that kind of thing, especially knowing your relationship to cannabis. But yeah, sorry, it kind of got twisted that way. And I messaged you saying, hey, you're on TV smoking from a volcano. (laughs) (laughs) I see you. (laughs) The little personal like element to that was we filmed that. And then after that, we hung out with Patrick and his crew a little bit, had had a drink. And I told the crew guys, I said, I know you filmed me hitting that volcano vaporizer but like from something you're holding up to your mouth as seen from the side that's nobody's best look and yeah. I just said just please don't put that of all things in your documentary because we did we filmed all evening and I just was making mm-hmm. a joke like don't put the one that makes me look like I'm doing something adults in your thing and that was like the opening image they used of me and I was like oh, they use the thing I told them not to yeah. oh, like <laughs> And it, it's, you know, I think as a classic, like, woman thing, I was like, oh, I should have known better, like, oh, you know, learn my lesson, which mm-hmm. is also true. Yeah, but that's that's what happens. You know, you put yourself out there as a cannabis person, and people are still going to perceive through the lens that, of where they're at. But uh, living in a legalized country, what is the best part of having legal access to cannabis? I can consume without fear, and I completely recognize that's not only being in a legalized country, it's definitely because I'm white, mm-hmm. uh, I think it has a lot to do with me being a woman, because mm-hmm. women consume in equal amounts as men, but are hardly visible. So mm-hmm. I'm a white woman walking around in a legalized country with zero fear of, of my consumption, whereas I know that's not most people's experience. Um, even in a legalized place, you know, people mm-hmm. have their their hesitation of like, oh, the police or shame. Just that's a mm-hmm. shameful thing. And I have no sense of shame. So mm-hmm. that <laughs> it's it's true. Like even if you're I was closeted and shamed within myself for a long time. Yeah. So the being yeah. out there is good. But now that the legal market has had a little time to find its feet, I've gone to my a shop opened up around the corner from me gone in a few times and see more um, options Mm -hmm. Uh, it's taking a while for the different kinds of products to come out but they're coming out so seeing variety knowing I'm helping perpetuate something we kind of want like Mm -hmm. kind of want legal cannabis I know there's a lot of problems with it but Mm -hmm. wanting it to be available in, in society so participating in that way is nice too You alluded to some of the disadvantages of legalization, particularly in a place like BC and Vancouver, where there was such a vibrant cannabis culture and industry before legalization. Can you talk to me about some of your observed or experienced disadvantages of legalization? Yeah, when I was involved in uh, doing my own startup and working for other startups, as much as people want to go give it a try, start their business, grow their plants, sell their products, the government regulations are not designed to support a diverse market or smaller players. It was It's really infuriating to see the government basically said, hey, there's this massive vibrant market instead of like understanding the plant and approaching it from like a holistic way of like, what is this plan? What can it do for us? And how can we like understand it better? It, it was really like, we want in a drug dealer sense, 
we're going to come in and take a bunch of corners. <laughs> mm-hmm. It wasn't about really changing anything. It was about taking over. So the government's just like, we're going to get the, it's basically venture capitalists that are the only ones that have the money that can meet the regulatory needs to set up a grow or set up a retail operation. There's so much overhead that mm-hmm. the amount of security and um, millions licensing related costs exclude virtually everybody. So the people who like know the plant, the traditional markets can't get in the door and it's mm-hmm. only available to like big corporations who really don't have a connection to the plant. So it perpetuates like male dominated industries, white industries. There's virtually no reconciliation for people in jail, um, for mm-hmm. criminal records. My understanding, I don't have a direct connection, but my understanding is that the medical program in Canada, the government's kind of let it go. They, they have a sense of like, people have their weed, now they can just go get it, then we have to pr- have a quote unquote medical system when mm-hmm. it really needs to be available as a medicine. And the mm-hmm. decrease in that system has hurt more people with recreational stuff. So yeah. it's really tricky because it's like, we want it to be accessible so you think legalization should be the way, but so many people are still being discluded or more excluded mm-hmm. because of how it's set up. So that was a really frustrating thing when I was trying to kind of get involved was to see it's no different mm. than lots of other industries. And it, I don't know if I have a, if I sense any shift in public perception of cannabis. Mm. One of my experiences in coming out and talking to people I had known for a long time I'd had a professional career and left that, but met up with a colleague for a lunch one day Mm -hmm. and sharing my cannabis stuff. And he said, oh, congratulations. Now you can be high all the time in reference to recreation legalization. Mm -hmm. I I just said, "Uh, that's not the point. Like, and I think he was just trying to be cute, make an earnest little joke, like no big deal. But Mm. cannabis is not about being high all the time. Plus, if somebody wanted to be held the time, they weren't waiting for legalization to do that, <laughs> you know? Um, and in speaking to people, like, I really put myself out there to be, mm-hmm. you know, like, if you're curious, like, I'm a good resource, come talk to me. And it was really tricky because unless a person has a reason to be interested, a lot of people are sort of, like, set in, like, what they they know, what they think mm. they know about it. And they're not interested yeah. in, like, adding something to the mix. They're like, I got my alcohol. I got my habits. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about weed. I'm not interested in learning anything about weed. So I think it'll take like more products and being more on public before things are really going to shift. Because after my experience in the cannabis industry, I did go back to traditional work and I had a resume, was applying for jobs. And I had a, a career uh, person supporting me. And she was just adamant that I don't have the word cannabis on any of my application material, period. And mm. the bargain was I had it on my resume once because mm-hmm. I was so confident like no it's okay and she's like I get that you're comfortable with with what cannabis is but you're going back to the professional world and they're not there yet yeah definitely I think a lot of people find that in the corporate world um, so yes le- with legalization can definitely come its challenges things like financial barriers are a big one the fact that they didn't really cultivate craft cannabis growers to come into the market alongside these giant hedge fund manager funded um, 
global organizations basically that came into cannabis, which has been unfortunate. It also affected the quality of cannabis that first came into the market, just the overall understanding of the plant and how it can be and how the industry can be created to really flourish with everyone included versus, you know, people just with a lot of capital from the start. And that was really, really sad to see a bunch of people really, really be affected by that, but also their entire livelihood kind of taken away at legalization. It infuriates me to know that people are still in prison or are still limited to jobs because of a past nonviolent cannabis conviction in a legal country. If there are people with licenses growing and making money legally with cannabis, then you should not face any barriers to work or to live your life with past nonviolent cannabis charges. Like those two can't coexist together. They really can't. And Mm -hmm. it really makes me passionate. (laughs) I don't want to say angry because that's, you know, it's a little bit negative, but it really does invoke passionate emotions. It makes me angry. Like cannabis has helped me learn about racism. Mm -hmm. Like I, I wasn't thinking about these things as a, as a closeted cannabis consumer and, my education has been like, this is this like racism issue, and this is a big medical issue, and it is. And so the recreational stuff, I'm like, oh, if there's a CBD drink, like, yay, cool. But like, are people still in jail? Are a bunch of mm-hmm. hedge fund white bros taking over high times, taking over companies, and like basically mm-hmm. kind of ruining stuff? Yeah. Um, so we always need to like keep that conversation going until stuff really changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to talk about, I guess, what you've learned on your cannabis journey. And I think from that, what is your biggest tip from someone who was starting on their cannabis journey? What I've learned on this journey is that this plant has been with humanity for a very long time. It's meant to be with us. It's a resource it's a medicine, it's nourishment, it's, you know, spiritual connection. And because of the diversity of the plant, that can speak to the diversity of of people and reasons to connect with it. So if there's anything I can impart is cannabis is here to be explored in many, many ways. And so for anybody starting their journey, someone who's curious, maybe spend a little bit of time to sit with what your curiosity is. Is your curiosity, is it because it's been a disallowed thing? Is it because mm-hmm. you just want to see the thing that you haven't been able to see? Are you interested in mental health support? Or have you heard about some of the other medical benefits? It can be great for upset stomach and digestive stuff. Mm-hmm. So are you coming at it like a medicinal thing? Are you interested in being high? Are you looking mm-hmm. for a, uh, exploring consciousness? Are you looking for a post-workout, you know, muscle relaxing? Like there's so many ways. Mm-hmm. So figure out what your curiosity is, is, is really what you're going for. And if it's because it's Friday night, you want to unwind from your hectic week, that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Accept what your curiosity is and then go down that path 
start doing your Googling about CBD for muscle relaxing or how do I have a good high or does cannabis help with sex? What is that like? Mm-hmm. Um, especially for people at certain points in their life where maybe they need a little something to help get back to that feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that reason you're going for cannabis, that intention is going to help you understand what's the best product. What's the best mm-hmm. method? Uh, what's the time of day? Can I find a community that shares this interest? Mm-hmm. One of the things I was developing with my business is, as I mentioned, I love nature and, and cannabis. So I was doing nature walks with cannabis. Mm, um, not doing it. Yeah. Like maybe post pandemic, it'll come back. And even if it's, I don't know why I'm just curious. Cause I'm curious. That's okay too. Mm-hmm. But it's what I really learned is the intention really kind of helps you set the experience. There's lots of resources out there. So Google, click, read, learn, compare mm-hmm. different sources of information and then try it. When you try it, the saying is go start low and go slow. Mm-hmm. If you can experience while being around other people, that usually helps too, especially if you're a new consumer. Um, mm-hmm. Being around others can help you uh, be more comfortable in your experience as well. I agree. I also wanted to ask you, how do you manage the munchies with cannabis? I do my best to pe- be prepared. And mm-hmm. so I know... I think it's kind of funny or ironic to me that the association of munchies is with like salty things, Doritos, chips, or whatever. Because mm-hmm. for me, like I get, no matter what cannabis it is, I get pretty dry, dry mouth. Mm-hmm. So I really love fruit, like juicy kind of stuff. So like in the winter, it's like oranges or like I got a lot of watermelon Mandarins. in there. Mandarins. So with the munchies, it's a, a sense of preparation or prevention so don't have the bag of cookies at home (laughs) Mm. or making sure I'm like having good nutrition like I'm getting what I need my protein and and fiber and stuff so that I'm feeling full so that Mm -hmm. that when I feel the munchies maybe I'm not eating a whole meal Mm -hmm. and it is aware of like amount amount of of cannabis as Mm -hmm. well and then a mindfulness during the experience you can try to prepare as best as possible and then you're in it and you're like wow I'm really going for it Mm-hmm. You know, I can take a pause now, but I don't find, call it binge eating, cannabis isn't quite like that. Like, I mean, it may be for some people, I shouldn't say mm-hmm. what it is or isn't. Yeah. But for me, I notice that usually something else is happening. Like I've been very active. Like it's the other day, like I'm just hungry because I'm hungry and cannabis mm-hmm. is like making it very apparent that like my body is just hungry but also focus and attention. So I'm like, oh, if I get in a snacky mode, I'm like, can I just divert my attention? Can I change what I'm doing right now? Make mm-hmm. my hands busy. So my hands aren't mm. going for food. My hands are doing something else. Yeah. Or acceptance that like, you know, sometimes we're hungry. We can eat stuff. You yeah. want to eat that half a bag of guilty. Cookies? Yeah, that's fine. You can eat mm. it. You don't have to hit, mm-hmm. hit yourself or think it's bad or wrong. So I think yeah. shifting that we'll Torture yourself in the gym the next day. <laughs> right. Right. Like it's, it's okay to eat stuff. We're humans. We have these big complex brains that need a lot Mm -hmm. of calories and nutrition. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I think the best strategies for munchies is to just have nutritious stuff around. So if you're going to go for it, be eating stuff that's good for your body anyways. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree. And I also think fruit is a really underrated munchie. Yeah. I'm exactly the same as you. I get dry eyes, dry mouth. The thing that I crave are, 
I love like frozen mangoes, frozen grapes would be like my ultimate favorite munchie, seedless Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. frozen grapes, but you know, watermelon, oranges, anything juicy, um, but has a bit of chew to it. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know why, but I just want to do the chewing motion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I want it to be liquid. <laughs> yep. Like that crunchy. I don't know when I eat oranges, like that sort of like crunchy. Yeah. Yeah. Helps you connect. Yeah. Like instead of eating like mindlessly, you're eating mindfully because you're connecting to the textures and sensations mm-hmm. and, and flavors. So like, yeah, there's nothing yeah. in the summertime. I love to like roll up a joint to get a little Tupperware mm-hmm. of the frozen mangoes or grapes yeah. and like go lay it on the sun. Mm-hmm. And it's just the simple things in life, right? That, yeah, that I absolutely so agree. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your insights, um, your experiences and our little story times with all of us at Bella Zoo Blaze. We have really enjoyed having you on and Thank, Thank you, you so for much. having me. I miss doing this face-to-face as we have done, and I'm so appreciative that uh, you've invited me to speak. I love to share. Um, I'm not uh, out there with my Mary J. brand on social media anymore, but there are many Kaya Blooms and Bella Hublais. You share a lot of information about what's happening currently, and I think that's really important. So thank you for letting me share my experience, and thank you for your efforts to to change the narrative on this with with New Zealand and hopefully the world. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Bella's Who Blaze. We really hope you enjoyed the topics and discussions this week. Um, and we're ready with the final episode of season one next week. We can't believe it's already going to be 10 episodes next week. Um, and thank you so much to everyone who's come along on this journey with us. And yeah, be sure to follow us at Bellas Who Blaze. Send us, our DMs are always open. Feel free to send us messages, feedback, comments, uh, anything that you would like to hear discussed on this podcast. Uh, thank you again for listening and we'll see you next week. Mata ne and mate wa. Thanks for listening to Bellas Who Blaze.